This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode 161 here in the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Max and Noah Grant here in the den once again to bring you a show in the second week of May. And of course, the NHL playoffs in in full swing in round number two. But uh, some teams, I don't know if they're exactly in full swing. It's it's been a lot of confusion, I I guess. I well, if you're the Leafs, you're confused. You're in the second round. Well, (laughs) I mean, I don't know the the storylines like the statistical values, everything that kind of has led up to a lot of these matchups. I know the playoffs bring a certain level of difference, but it seems like this year has just been chaos times seven, right? Like it just kind of feels like it's just been an extra dose of unpredictable. So, but it's great. It's great for the game of hockey. It's great for the fans here. Um, So yeah, we're going to dive into that. Obviously Uh, take a look at some NCAA player moves. There's not much to report this week. Um, Some USHL stuff. We might kind of focus a little bit on that because Again, the USHL playoffs in full swing as well, too. Uh, some NHL stars um, and awards starting to be unveiled here. Uh, so we'll kind of walk through some of that. And then we are watching uh, live as we speak. We are recording this Monday night at 7 o'clock here. So we are uh, actively watching the NHL draft lottery, and we are going to break that down before we get to the end of the main portion of the show. So stick around for that. You won't want to miss that. And then our extra ice session. Speaking of relocating players how about relocating teams potentially we talked the arizona coyotes once again of course they're getting close to their tempe bid and also some rumblings about nhl expansion that continue to come up is quebec city a destination probably not is atlanta going to get a third crack at this i don't really know is houston actually an nhl city we're going to discuss all of it and more in the show so without further ado we start as always with center ice Few news and notes and the huskies illustrated weekly roundup Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. few news and notes here, Noah. And for this week, uh, just when we thought uh, the Ottawa Senators couldn't be more of a prized ticket to buy, it gets <laughs> even more sweet. Uh, last week, it was Snoop Dogg and a group joining in uh, along with another group that was, uh, I guess, the, the main head right is Ryan Reynolds. Uh, not done yet, apparently, as far as the interest in this team. And now Canadian singer, um, is it Abel Tesfe? Did I say that right? I don't know why you're at. You act like I'm the savvy right. one. No, not me. You know, 
everybody knows him as the weekend, right? Yeah. Um, he's joined the Harlow Capital Group, which is led by a couple of Toronto billionaires, Jeffrey and Michael Kimmel. And they are now placing a bid to buy the Ottawa Senators as well. So now three prominent groups trying to get their hands on NHL ownership. Uh, and this is kind of interesting, too, because the the weekend who's a native of Toronto, in fact, just a suburb of Scarborough, Ontario. Uh, he's won four Grammys. Again, he also uh, hosted the halftime show for Super Bowl uh, 55. So uh, there's some local interest here, right, for the weekend. Um so, and quote, the team he works with grew up in Ottawa, uh, so they know the market really well, but he's the largest musician um, on the planet right now. He has the most views, the most uh, streams. He's also a hockey guy. He doesn't like to be in the media very often uh, as far as him, you know, minus the music. But uh, so this really says something that he wants to be part of a bid. He wants to get this deal done. He wants to build something that will be great in Ottawa and he'll be a good fit. He's got a lot of connections Worldwide, So this is coming, I believe, from a spokesman uh, announcing uh, his entry into uh, being uh, another bidder, right? Now, mind you, uh, this open sort of season, right, for budding ends May 15th. So anybody or any group interested in submitting a bid to buy the Ottawa Senators has just about a week left before uh, bidding does close. So uh, this is kind of cool again. And, you know, for the Ottawa Senators, uh, Noel, gets your quick take on this. Uh, for a franchise that really... As far as success on the ice, it's been a little bit to see three prominent groups led by some, shall we say, non-traditional hockey celebrity faces. Kind of cool, actually, in that, you know, you just hope that beyond the namesake, right, that they have some plans. Uh, I guess Ottawa had, needs a new arena. There there needs to be some, some, some things that are updated with that organization. So you hope that it's not just the namesake that takes over the organization, but they do have some future plans uh, for that team up, uh, up there in Ontario. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, the most streamed artist on Spotify, you know, which is you don't say that lightly, obviously. Uh, you know, someone who would understand the entertainment value and what it takes to put on a good show, right? You know, I think we have to remember, I mean, us coming from the background of being hockey guys, yes, we're concerned about the on-ice product, and that's obviously a very vital vital piece. But, you know, at the end of the day, the way you sell tickets is you market the brand, you market the exposure, you market the game. That's kind of what makes this all flow, and there's somebody who would have a very good understanding of what, how that works and what goes into it. Um, you know, as long as you surround yourself with people who do understand the hockey side of things too. Um, a great problem for the NHL to have. We've kind of gone back to this. And I, I think the, the thing that's cool with Ottawa is, and this is no disrespect to other hockey markets, but it is a market where realistically the current Ottawa senators have not been around that long. I don't think people realize that, but as far as Ottawa, in hockey history and of course like early nhl hockey history they have a lot of prominence when it comes to those sorts of things so there's a lot to be done with that where you can really tie a lot of pieces and make that not that it's not already a good hockey market but you get a new arena you get new ownership you get that team back to relevance suddenly you've got a hockey market that's very desirable for both fans and players so that's uh something that they're building towards here again it's a good problem for the nhl to have i just like you said, I, I hope we don't get to a point where the namesake means more than the process, because as we've seen in Ottawa in years past, the process was not exactly fluid and not exactly smooth. And both on the ice and off the ice, it's been kind of a struggle recently. So it's great to see interest in what would be the NHL's latest 
reclamation project up north, so to speak. Uh, and hopefully uh, somebody's going to come out of this with a really good bid and a really good plan. Well, this one team does not consider itself as a reclamation project, but it is yeah. sort of scratching its head, right? And that is the New York Rangers. And uh, how about this? Maybe some find this surprising, maybe not. Gerard Gallant and the Rangers have mutually agreed to part ways after just two seasons. Um, Gallant went 99-46-19 and 19, mm-hmm. uh, during his tenure with the Rangers. Um, side little tidbit here, too, and all that is um, all three Jack Adams finalists from 2021 and 2022 are no longer with the clubs that I coached at the time. The other two that were on that short list was Daryl Sutter and Andrew Burnett. So we kind of spoiled the next story, right? And that is again, uh, Daryl Sutter, maybe not so surprised was fire. We discussed that last week, but maybe more shockingly is a couple of players took back supposed trade uh, requests after the club did, uh, part ways with Daryl Sutter as their head coach earlier this past week. So um, I'm not sure if it's surprising that the fact that some players took back trade requests, Noah, but it seems like we're hearing about this more on the public side. And it's just not something that at least in the hockey circles, you don't normally hear about because uh, there were, shall we say, indications that maybe there was, uh, shall we say, the what Daryl Sutter wanted out of his team and what the players may wanted their identity to be there seemed to be some friction there and and this sort of not necessarily confirms that but does show that you know leadership probably made the right move in the fact that they wanted change at the person that was behind the bench yeah not like the flames have had an issue retaining their core in the past year or two right uh, um yeah uh, yeah bridge deals not great uh but yeah i, I mean daryl sutter his firing I, I don't know that it was necessarily all that surprising i i still think he's one of those coaches that has a home in the right market i again same with john tortorella right a guy that fits in the right market, but um, for whatever reason, Calgary wasn't it. I don't think that this is particularly uncommon though. Uh, The article kind of related back to exit meetings and interviews with players uh, with management. And they kind of flat out said like, Hey, like, like I want to go somewhere else unless you get rid of this guy kind of thing. And I think that, you know, I don't think that that is necessarily uncommon in the NHL. I don't know if it's that, I don't, I I don't know that it's that upfront or with that, like in mass, so to speak, but, I, I think I mean, what's surprising, though, was the fact that it comes like that piece of it comes out. I mean, there's, you know, there's reports on exit meetings all the time, but just rarely do we hear that piece of it where it's like, get rid of this person or I well, go kind of part. Well, you know? well usually you don't, you, you're not getting rid of your coach, though. So a lot of times you don't hear about it because, you know, you might have two or three guys who are like, hey, we're not really satisfied with this. Well, what happens? They get traded, right? You know, or they, they, they do something. They're not, you know, part of this agency yeah yeah yeah, they're not part of this bigger story so to speak the head scratcher to me is the one in new york i I don't the rangers i've kind of had this mentality here kind of this like shotgun trigger mentality where it's like you kind of you're hoping for this you know this quick spray against the wall that's going to kind of give you some success and if it doesn't work you move on to the next guy here and the rangers like they're not letting the process play out a little bit here and for whatever reason gerard gallant what process though like and I say that respectfully, and and why I say that Noah is remember it's not that long ago where the Rangers via what social media and then through season ticket holders sent out a letter that says hey, you know we're gonna be sort of retooling, rebuilding kind of thing, and I think they made some interesting moves right that uh, accelerated that process, and I kind of feel like 
you know, and, and if you look at their moves as last year, right, bringing in Val- Vladimir Tarasenko, bringing in guys like Patrick Kane, they made a bunch of moves at the deadline. They were going in, all in for a push, right? And they did not even clear the first round. And I think part of whoever this coach was going to be over the last couple of seasons, uh, they were never going to be judged by their regular season record. It was going to be, can they take this Ranger squad you know, deep into a playoff run? And unfortunately, Gerard Gallant didn't. But to your point, I do also find it interesting that only after two seasons that they are deciding to part ways with a coach. Um, but I just I get the sense that the process to me has always been we're trying to win now and they've been trying to disguise it as sort of a rebuild slash retool. But if you really look back over the past couple of seasons and some of the things that they've done and not what they've said, I think it's been kind of a cloak. Um, I really do believe that. I think they really have tried uh, to do kind of a win now push while trying to sell the fact that we're trying to still, you know, uh, retain our first round pick switch they did um and also try to build with a youthful core um but then again they just haven't been able to go for the hump and you can't necessarily change the players i think they like the players uh but you can change the coach so they continue to go that way yeah it's interesting i i don't really know is. what the answer is it's just if it, i feel do the rangers it feels <laughs> like this is just kind of the new trend in the NHL where I don't want to say it's premature, but guys are getting a really short leash in the national hockey league in the coaching realm. And, lately. you know, and, and I, just, and, and here's the opposite side of that coin, right? We just talked about how in Calgary, there was that report that made public, right? You kind of wonder too, where's there something to that same nature with New York, but it's just not something that's out in the media, right? It's always possible, especially when a tenure like this is this short, um, mind you, there's some powerful voices within the Rangers, right? Some veteran players have got a big say. Um, and again, with exit meetings, you just never know what comes out. Granted, when something does, you know, what does upper management, what does ownership do? And you kind of wonder, is that a possibility? It, it certainly is. Um, and maybe that's and maybe that's what it is, right? We'll, we'll never know. And that's why I said before, I'm kind of surprised that something that shall I say, honest, you know, has made it out because normally that's kind of kept behind closed doors. I get the sense that this is something similar here in New York. Um, but then again, Gerard Gallant, if, you, if we look back at his most recent coaching tenure, right, besides some miracle runs in Vegas, he really hasn't been able to hold on to something. So you and if I remember correctly, maybe and correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't there been some reports of maybe just some of the maybe just a coaching style that Gallant has that, you know, is also maybe sort of sandpaper-esque or maybe I'm just making that up. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I mean, I I think it also goes back to the fact too where, um, you know, some of these young guys too, are they willing to be coached that way too? And I'm not saying that <laughs> you need to, like, again, like go all Mike Keenan on this, but at the same time you need right. to, you know, you kind of have to have that, you know, the Herb Brooks, you know, I'll, I'll be your coach. I won't be your friend kind of thing. You need to be able to kind of draw that line a little bit where respect is a little bit earned in some senses by the way that you play, but you also, you know, are developing too. I don't really know. It's just, it, it's a weird process. The real question is what happens to Patrick Kane and Tarasenko in free agency? That is an intriguing thing that we are going to go into. I think it's, you know, I think it's more in intriguing on the Tarasenko front that it is on Patrick Kane. Um, only because I think Patrick Kane has a limited group that he would go to just because I know he wants to go to a deep playoff run. So it's more on his case for Tarasenko. He's, you know, he's still a little bit older. 
Uh, in fact, he's 31, so he's not crazy. Still probably has a couple good years left, but again, it's what's going to be the command from him. I think more for him is going to be what he is going to ask for in a contract, whether it is, and it's going to be both money and term. And remember, he's sort of, I don't want to say overplayed his hand, but St. Louis also didn't want to lock him up long-term. Uh, so I think it's more intriguing for him because I think he's got more time left. Whereas for Kane, I think he's looking for that last chance at a cup. And uh, I think he controls more of where his destiny is going to go. And we'll see what teams uh, you know are able to make that fit work. Yeah. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks have been fined $50,000 by the NHL for violating offseason training rules for players this past week. Uh, they were holding on-ice sessions with players from April 17th through the 23rd um, after the season had ended, which is a violation of the current CBA. Uh, Dakota Joshua, Jack Studnika were among six players that were doing on-ice training with Henrik and Daniel Sedin, who are the development coaches for the club. Um I mean, it's in the CBA, you can't do it, but I also think it's also kind of weird. <laughs> well, didn't Arizona get caught with something similar and then they lost draft picks? No, they got caught. Um, they were physically evaluating um, guys during their physicals when they, they were essentially being hands-on with them during the physicals and they aren't allowed to actually assess. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, the physical. But still, weird things within the CBA. Like I said, I mean, I get it. This is kind of the similar thing where um, like in the NCAA or other college things, like we couldn't have coaches at certain mm -hmm. points and, you know, during captain's practices, so to speak. I don't know. I just think it's weird. It's like, I mean, the NHL season, the regular season's over, but like if you want guys who are wanting to skate, like let them skate kind of thing. I don't know. I, right. I don't know. Anyway, the Vancouver Canucks, they're down uh, what would be, I guess, chump change for an NHL team, but a lot of money for the rest of us. Uh, speaking of a lot of money for somebody here, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, former St. Cloud State uh, player Mikey Asamont, a two-year contract, $800,000 per season. He's played less than a full slate of NHL games over the course of three seasons that he's been in the National Hockey League, a little less than 80 games. 102 points in three seasons in St. Cloud, had 79 in three seasons prior with the Fargo Force in the USHL. He started this past season with Winnipeg and was a 2016 fifth-round draft pick of the LA Kings. So it's kind of been a long time coming for a player who has really had to work really mm -hmm. hard to kind of earn the opportunity that he's had. He had a good playoff run, and now him and Nick Perbix uh, in the same mix in Tampa Bay. That's I think that's obviously very exciting. And, and Mikey Aisman, if you watch him, he is the perfect fit for John Cooper's system too. I think you know his game with his speed. He was he was he was a water bug man. He was really good on their fourth line. He earned that contract. Yeah, he's not gonna you know blow you off the page with some points, uh, but man, he is a perfect fit for what uh, John Cooper wants from a bottom six player. And he certainly, like I said, earned that contract. And uh, congratulations to Aisman. That's uh, well earned. And I think again, a really perfect fit down here with Tampa for the former St. Cloud forward. Yeah, it'll be good. 13-year uh, NHL veteran Peter Klima died at 58 uh, this past Thursday. Um, best remembered for scoring that triple overtime winner game one of the 1990 Stanley Cup Finals for the Oilers, who ended up beating the Bruins that year. Uh, Six-time 30-goal score, 573 points in 786 career NHL contests with about six or seven teams. So uh, wishing uh, his family the best through that difficult time. But yeah, kind of an interesting, I mean, you go back and you watch that goal. I mean, you start pushing into two, three, overtimes i mean it's just any puck's a good puck 
you know, on that. And uh, one of the most memorable goals in Oilers history, for sure. Uh, Mark Borvietsky retiring after 12 seasons at age 33, almost 500 games for him. Hasn't played in about six months. I don't know if uh, anybody remembers, but that awkward hit against Philadelphia back in October, yeah. uh, he was in the hospital. He went on IR. He hasn't played since. You got to imagine that was probably the nail in the coffin, so to speak, uh, you know, for his career. I mean, you just, it just didn't look good. Um, but he's a guy that, I mean, he started his career, really kind of found his prominence in Ottawa and then, of course, finished in Nashville. I mean, there's a guy that, I mean, absolutely ate pucks for a living and just yeah. carved out a role, I mean, being a reliable third-pairing defenseman. I mean, it's just – he's a guy that, um, while it took us about five years to figure out how to actually say his name appropriately, and then once we did, you know, you realize that he's just – you know, was a guy that – you know, he kind of reminds me of – uh maybe a little bit of a younger Nate Prosser in some senses where a guy that's just continually, you thought, Oh, maybe this is a year that he doesn't stick around. Maybe this is the year he get put, gets pushed out of the lineup. And he just was a consistent steady force and a good defensive defenseman that was always in the lineup. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, only 33 though, Nick, I mean, it's not, not young, but it's not. No. And you know, he's had some injury issues, including some concussion issues, which yeah. more than likely is, you know, what, as you mentioned with this latest news, probably, Shall we say, you know, they have, you know, made the decision, right? It, it stinks. But, uh, you know, for Borowiecki, again, 12 seasons in the NHL, uh, nearly 500 games. That's a heck of a career. Was on some pretty good teams in Ottawa, too, when they were uh, at their most recent prominence back, what, 16, 17 was probably when Ottawa was last, uh, you know, high up as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned. So a heck of a career. Sad it has to end like this, right? You never wish a player yeah. has to go out like this. But uh, overall, you know, Great uh, career for Borowiecki and uh, wish him the best in the future. Yeah, sounds like he wants to get into coaching and development. So I'd imagine he'd probably do pretty good at that. Uh, Final topic here, injuries, both with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Ilya Samsonov questionable after that injury in game three against Florida. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, The one that kind of everyone has been buzzing about recently, though, Matty Nye is, of course, out indefinitely, probably for the rest of the series, at least. uh, Should the Maple Leafs do something crazy that's only been done four other times in NHL history? Um, Yeah, of course, he's out with a concussion. It's interesting because uh, obviously no supplemental discipline coming from that. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see the hit, but oh, I, I, yeah. but but it was uh, it, the initial hit certainly wasn't the issue. The the actual no. hit against the boards, I think people had an issue with kind of grabbing him and, and falling down with the body weight um, backwards. I don't know. I think at maximum I could have seen like at maximum maximum one game maybe or a fine, but like I didn't. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily clean, but I also look at that and say I chalk that up to guys being in the moment in playoff hockey and a guy being in an unfortunate spot here. I don't. Did you see that any differently? I mean, no. And, and I think, you know, when you watch them go down to the ice, right, I think it's different if, you know, he is pushing him down towards the ice, you know, if there is sexual force being implied there. Uh, like you said, it, it's kind of a weird situation. Yeah, and you could only even argue that when they were going to the boards originally, there was a little bit, it, it, like you said, it wasn't perfectly clean, uh, but also wasn't perfectly not clean either. Uh, so, and, and I think you said it right in the head. It's it's sort of a playoff hockey type situation where, you know, again, the board battles, you know, these are the trenches, right? And I just think for, for Nye's, uh, just unfortunately, just the, the way that the play ended, right? And you just hit the ice a certain way. Ask Joe Pavelski. Apparently, he's had a few instances like that too, right? So um, sometimes the original play isn't 
clean, but then one, shall I say, the end result or the end of that play happens, you know, it makes it look worse than what it is, right? Uh, I'm with you. I think if anything, it was going to be a maximum one game. Obviously, player safety didn't think it was a suspendable play. They did fine him, if I'm correct on that. I think they find him what five grand for, uh, for the play, but didn't find anything that they deemed to be suspendable. Like I said, I think if he's extending or you know puts like forced into the ice as he's falling, I think that would up it to a level of suspension. I didn't see that. I don't know if you did. I just more well, so. It's just it, you got to realize the, the Department of Player Safety for how inconsistent they've been. Though they still operate operate oh, within, yeah. the, within the parameters of the rule book. And what I mean by that is on that play, what you could have called is two minutes for roughing. I mean, there's nothing beyond that that you could call. So, I mean, you can't really go from that to being trying to assess something greater than a major, so to speak. Um, And when guys go into the corner here, like I said, you're not intentionally trying to hurt someone, but you are trying to kind of gain that edge. So if you have a guy who you get tied up with them and like you're falling backwards and you just have an opportunity to like bring your body weight with him and bring him to the ice with you, you kind of do those things because that's just kind of like, Take the body or take the puck. But you yeah, leave with zero, right? That's yeah. that's that's just it, right? And I, th- you know, beyond that though, was it maybe excessive? Probably. Yeah. You know, as far as the carryover again, the initial hit. Say what you want about it. I wasn't too concerned about it, but it was more of like the fact that they still kept hanging on to each other than falling and seemed like Bennett was more of the aggressor in that situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's where it's become sort of that gray area. Right. Which is, uh, okay, how much do we let go? But then we go back to playoff officiating, which means whistles are in the pockets, right? And, you know, we can call it for one. Or, or the notepads coming out of the pocket while somebody's getting punched in the ribs and the kidneys. Anyway, yeah. uh, how about that? <laughs> uh, with the, I wonder if he was trying to get a UFC fight so he could pay off some debt anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah take, take the over on that one, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with that being said, we are going to head on over to the main portion of the show here where we start with some college hockey news. Welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 161 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson, along with Noah Grant here. And uh, Nick, uh, second week of May here. This is actually, I don't know what um, the show is going to look like behind me um, starting next week. I am actually at, at about two hours after the release of this show on Tuesday morning. I am actually moving into my new apartment. So it has been a long weekend of packing and getting boxes together and Unfortunately, you're still in North Dakota, so I can't really celebrate. Yeah, but in, I'm higher up in the air now. So, I mean, oh. I'm, I might be the largest tree in North Dakota. I don't know. Um, but, a small tree. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what though. I, I did I did get a chance to – yeah, you're one to talk. You're like, you're like one of those little – you know, here's the thing. Uh, I did get a chance to tour the new hospital that I will be starting at next month, though, which is a $523 million hospital, and it is – one of the nicest hospitals I have ever seen. And I don't say that just because it's where I'm going. It's just, you know, I would say besides Mayo, I don't know that there's another hospital technologically that's looked as good as that one. I think that there's certain hospitals, especially in kind of helps. Well, I think there's certainly, certainly (laughs) hospitals within the cities that, you know, maybe have more specialized equipment or more options for care just because, you know, that's, that's where the population is. But as far as state of the art, you know, up to date workflow. Um, yeah. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find 
I would say a better hospital in North Dakota right now, at least as far as the technology side and the up-to-date side goes. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful building. So really excited about that one. But other than that, I mean, it's, I uh, um, completed my classes last week. I officially, uh, you as want, a posting you the plank, huh? Well, about to on Friday. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah be interesting. Uh, yeah, hopefully I don't trip, but you know what? This is like my third college graduation in some capacity. So I, I'm ready to just, yeah, ready to be done. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, uh, bachelor's of science and nursing, very excited for that, obviously, and starting work next month. So, um, but we will be here to cover what's going to move in next month, which of course will be the NHL playoffs. Before we get to that, we track some college hockey news here, um, and USHL news. Uh, let's start with the NCAA player moves, I guess here on the men's side, nothing really new to report in the NCHD at least. So kind of a quiet period as of right now, uh, women's side here, Duluth. I don't know if we mentioned this, uh, Olivia Wallen from Penn state, 33 points in 38 games as a junior, the Bulldogs add her, um, I uh, Calla Frank headed to St. Thomas from Mankato for her fifth year in the net. Um, can't remember if we mentioned that one either, but one, I know that we didn't cause this one is new. Um, Mackenzie Bourgeray, uh, headed from St. Cloud to Mankato had one point in 37 games last year as a junior. Um, of course, former guest of the show, by the way, a couple of years ago, um, I, I don't know, Nick. I, you know, of course, Mankato finished below St. Cloud in the standings this year. I mean, you look at the mm-hmm. point production, and when I say point production, one point of production. Um, I, yeah. I got the single versus plural. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, For most of the listeners and viewers, I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't know if it was a question of ice time, but maybe a question of role, essentially, you know, possibly. Trying- trying to be in a more elevated role in Mankato, wishing her the best, obviously, but kind of just trying to wrap my mind around where this is at. I was looking at, of course, it's graduation week in St. Cloud too. So looking at players like that are in the portal, like Olivia Savage, of course, she just finished her degree, you know, in education, you know, heading to be a teacher. So thinking about opportunities, you know, for her as like a fifth year player, trying to enter the portal, thinking about, you know, where her degree is maybe taking her and kind of opportunities that related to hockey as well too. So, but yeah, Mackenzie Borgeray, an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, it's, I, I think Borgeray, we, when we've covered her not only on the show, but also on the ice too, you kind of get the sense that she's, if anything, right. For Borgeray, we've I've seen her score. Was it a hat trick in one of the games? And so she's got some flair. She's got some skill, but then as you saw with the point, total i'll steal your line um you know just for whatever reason wasn't there and i i got the sense from watching the lineup go in and out of st cloud now mind you it wasn't just her right there was a lot of jumping up and down from brian idolsky again just kind of laying down his vision of what he wants his team to be and yeah it seemed to change on any given night he just wasn't afraid to mix things up and you know maybe that was it right maybe it just wasn't a fit for for bergeret uh and maybe again like some of these other gals you know was it just uh, wanting a different role. Um, you know, was it that okay? You know, this is what St. Cloud hockey is going to be. Maybe this is something that I don't like, you know, or you know, could be a number of reasons. But uh, at the end of it, I think for Bourgeois, you know, and also for a player, right? She had plenty more points in her sophomore year than her junior year. I think for players, they will, you know, they'll probably tell you if you're if they're honest with you, right? That that does hurt a little bit. And maybe she's just looking for a fresh change of scenery because maybe she feels that's what's going to kickstart her and and maybe get back to some totals that were higher in previous seasons. Number of reasons, right? Um, but 
as you mentioned, all the best of luck in Mankato um, and see if she does end up getting no more elevated role, again, as an upperclassman and uh, maybe just stylistically, maybe just a better fit for the way that she plays the game. We'll see, but hoping that she has success down there with the Mavericks. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, of course, uh, uh, getting ready, like we mentioned, we're just starting the main portion of the show. I uh, did just get the notification, though, of uh, who did win the draft lottery. God, the NHL is rigged, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is it Chicago? It is Chicago, man. No way. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous, man. It's, okay. right, it's right on cue, though, because you <sighs> have you got Kane and Taves both, you know, sunsetting, essentially. And, yeah, Bedard. Terrible. Anyway. Um, <laughs> which means who gets who got number two? Uh, the Ducks did. Yeah. So they're yeah. getting Fantilli then. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's another really good player, by the way. So they also need defense. Anaheim can't defend. So who knows? <laughs> um, I hate this place. Um, <laughs> so in other words, what you're saying is the Minnesota Wild are never going to win a Stanley Cup because now Chicago in a couple of years, right? Oh, right. Right when the Wild get out of Stanley Cap Hill, they're probably going to be ready to contend for another playoff spot again. Got it. Yeah. Oh, heard it here first, folks. Hey, I mean, uh, on the plus side, though, you put together the right package. Minnesota could afford Connor Bedard's shiny new contract in three years. There's no way. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Last time know. I checked, Chicago's going to have a lot more cap money than we will. <laughs> <laughs> just just yeah. a little bit yes uh yes because they've been a perfectly transparent organization um anyway right. uh I, on the flip side <laughs> of that though beyond Connor bedard who else do they have i mean what's what realistically i mean oh, come they, on patty patty kane's coming back man no, he's not. <laughs> anyway we'll dive into that yeah. at the end of the main portion of the yeah. show uh, as far as i can tell we're, we're going to keep an eye on this one the fargo force of course lead their series against the lincoln stars two to one here and their best of five i believe um it is now two to two right now. Yeah, just a minute, uh, eight nineteen left to play in period number one. Two to two is the score. A bit of a more high scoring oh, one boy. here tonight to start. Um, all three of the games have been one goal contests. In fact, the first one, uh, one nothing victory for the Force with less than a minute to play in that one. A real goaltender's duel. Then of uh, four to three was the other night that the Force won, and they they lost, I believe, by the same score in night number two. Um, in Fargo. So, of course, they're in Lincoln tonight. Should Lincoln win today, game five, of course, will be later this week. So, but Fargo, um, it's, it's been really good. The USHL uh, playoffs and talking for, with a couple of guys that cover that team, too. They just talked about how it's been an absolute war, and this Lincoln team has been no slouch of an opponent here. No, you know, one nothing and three to two. In games one and three, Fargo wins. They lose four to three on home ice in game number two. Uh, game five would be this Thursday, May 11th, if necessary. So keep an eye on that one. But this Lincoln team, again, has really They're given solid. this force team fit. So, uh, yeah, speaking of the Fargo force, though, um, the great news that we came out of St. Cloud Stateland, uh, former assistant coach for the Huskies and former player Nick Oliver winning USHL Coach of the Year in his first season at the helm. Yeah, I, yeah, no surprise. Um, I mean, just an incredible season that he had. I mean, it's. Uh, um, I was just, I just had it up, and of course, and I just clicked out of it here. So let me pull it back up here so that I don't misspeak here. Yeah, forty-four, twenty-three, and oh, a six-five-seven winning percentage, forty and twenty-two in the conference, um, twenty-two and eleven at home, nineteen and eleven on the road. Um, yeah, it, uh, an impressive season for him. Like we talked about, we've mentioned it multiple times. 
he's not going to be in Fargo for long. And that's a good thing. Not a bad thing. He's just, he's going to get a shot at the next level if he continues to stay with the pace that he's been at. So uh, yeah. Anything you wanted to add on that? You know, we talk about Nick Oliver and his coach coaching and whatnot. And obviously he's earned that accolade, but I think what makes Nick Oliver such a great coach is his communication with his players. He really does connect and care about the players. Again, we, we heard that from Brett Larson. We heard that from Dave Shyak when talking about Nick Oliver he has all the makings of being a head coach, not only at the junior level, at the Division One level. Or I could argue that with his career trajectory, he will be in the minors or possibly an NHL bench in the next five to 10 years. There's no question about it. He's just that good. Um, and a lot of it is just because he listens, right? He, he approaches players as individuals, um, also you know projects things as the team, right? But he just knows how to connect and get the most out of his players. Um, he develops relationships. And so, uh, again, no shock from us. Uh, he's a hell, hell of a coach. He's a hell of a human being. And uh, we hope that this trend continues for him. He's going to get if not after this year, he for sure next year he's going to get a lot of calls yeah. uh, from from shall we say um, programs that are going to be a little bit higher than junior hockey uh, for him to be heading that department. So um, congratulations, uh, Coach Oliver, you've done a fantastic job and continue more success in the UCL playoffs. Yeah, job's not done, right, for that team. No, so, um, it's going to be a long road, obviously, uh, to uh, what would be a Clark Cup. So, uh, yeah, wishing him the best of luck, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, and, and you look at uh, Nick too in talking with, you know, my buddy who's one of the head rink guys there. He talked about how that entire coaching staff and obviously the players too, a couple guys that we skate with in the summer, just a good group of guys, good coaching staff. Yep. They're really good to guys off the ice, really good to, you know, you know, the rink guys around that are helping get the ice set up and things like that. And I think those things go a long way. And we've talked about this, uh, you know, and that mentality that's been instilled, you know, with Brett Larson at, you know, at the division one level you walk down and obviously, you know, there are times when he's busy and you know kind of when you can insert yourself and when you can't. But uh, with Brett, usually if he's got the time for you and even if he doesn't, he's still going to be cordial to you and, and try to give you his full attention. And I think that's something that goes a long way because there's a lot of coaches at that level, especially that kind of, I don't want to say act like they're, they're bigger than that, but you know, they kind of, they look, I don't want to say they look down on people, but there's no other way to say it where they kind of feel like they're doing their own thing and that everybody else is kind of catering to them, so to speak. And in some senses, that's what happens at that level. But, you know, being grateful for the opportunity and making people feel valued outside of the initial players and coaching staff, I think just goes a long way with, you know, media reporters, rink personnel, that sort of thing. And Nick Oliver obviously um, has definitely carried that through uh, in his coaching tenure as well. Uh, Moving over to the NHL playoffs here, um, the second round, of course, the only game going on tonight on Monday um, is the series that is still tied Vegas and Edmonton tonight, just getting underway in about a couple of minutes here. Um, Other than that, the, this Stanley Cup playoffs has been confusion, 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 especially the, the second round. I thought the first round maybe would have given us the most entry, but it, it continues to get crazier here. Um, it really topped the first round after the uh, the calamities that we saw there. <laughs> I, well, I mean, if you want to be fair, there is still something that can happen in this second round, although statistically a 2.2% chance of it happening that could make this second round really crazy. Um, Uh, Toronto's not going to do it. Just going (laughs) to say that (laughs) you you start with one though, right? You know, like if they can put together the next two, then you start to think, 
then you worry if you're paying, if you're Florida. Yeah, yeah, then you start to think you can maybe get it to seven. You know, and like we talked about, there's only been four teams in history that have ever come back and won a series from 3-0 down. Only once in the Stanley Cup final, ironically enough. You know, the 42 Toronto Maple Leafs. Can't remember who the team in the mid-80s was to do it, but then, of course, it was the 2010 Flyers against Boston, who, of course, they were down 3 nothing in Game 7, two mm-hmm. against the Bruins that came back in that one. And then, of course, the LA Kings the year they win the Cup, um, yep. beating San Jose and the Sharks fans still haunted by that one yeah they'll be haunted for for a while (laughs) but i would wonder what the statistic is of teams that have pushed a 3-0 deficit to seven games not regardless of winning it just gotten there because i think even if toronto gets to that point where they can push it to seven and even if they lose you say okay fair play right you know you, you pushed yourself back from the brink and you gave yourself a one game chance you didn't roll over yep yeah um obvi- toronto obviously um you know is going to have to have their best game of the series in game four um which is funny because you know the game the other night uh, you know where they lose in overtime obviously losing samsonov too there was probably the the closest game out of the three they played and it was probably toronto's worst game that they've yeah played so you know uh, you just kind of felt like the Leafs were maybe due for a little bit better fate, but then we realized, oh yeah, it's the Leafs. But I, I, I think from a personal perspective, um, and then I'll get your thoughts here. I'd really love to see Toronto push it to at least six games because there's been so much for that fan base and so much for that core. That's kind of talked about, oh, they're this and that they're not good enough. They just can't whatever this and that. And we all know this where yes, in the playoffs, you have to bring your best effort, but you also need to bounce, Right. You know, yep. Toronto wins that game in overtime. We're having a much different conversation than the conversation yes, we we're are. having today. And, you know, I, I think for that core, just getting them to a point where they at least give a commendable effort through the rest of this series, I think would go a long way. I really don't want to think about the Leafs if they lose game four because it's going to be anarchy and everything that they just did to erase a 19 year first round you know, move on drought. Will Does be it really, and that's erased. Thing, right? Yeah. Is I, I was going to say, let's take it one step further. If you get swept out of the second round, I'm not sure that you look at it any differently from a management or an ownership standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've been bounced in the first round um, to your point for game three, right? Uh, close on the scoreboard yet. O'Reilly, Matthews, Marner, all were very, Shall we say absent from the shot chart? Uh, (laughs) David Kampf and Eric Gustafson led the team, like which is fine, actually, right? Because you sometimes in games and in series, right, you talk about depth scoring and how that sometimes has to get you over the edge, right? But it can't be your only contributions, right? You're paying Matthews and Marner a lot of money uh, for these types of moments, and you know, not to say that again in the playoffs where they're going to get all the attention. And here's my second point. You got to really tip your cap to Florida, man. They yeah. to be able to essentially to slow down these top guns of Toronto is no easy task. And also, holy cow, has Sergey Bobrovsky been really, really good at times when they have had some great chances? With granted, it has not been often, especially. I mean, if I go back to Game Three and Matthews had that, you know, just a little bit of space, and it wasn't a lot. Um, and you know, Samsonov essentially had to jump out of his crease and he just caught it with the shoulder. It was in the third period, it was probably their best chance of the entire game. But in overtime, again, it was all Florida, it was really all Florida, which they controlled the pace, they controlled the shots on net. Um, 
really when I got to extra sessions of the Leafs just looked gassed, right? So they need they need something right now. And again, it's not a zero percent chance they come back. It's very low. But what I why I'm so confident it won't happen is again when you look at game three going into overtime, they just did not look like they belong on the same ice sheet. They just looked like they were checked out. Not to say they were, but they were gassed and they just really weren't generating anything that was going to be successful Maple Leaf hockey, which is on the four check, putting pucks on that and allowing your guys like Marner, Matthews, O'Reilly, Tavares to work their magic, William Nylander also. Um, so, you know, a bigger question mark is with Samsonov out, right? Uh, granted, you know, Wall came in and held him in that hockey game. He played yeah, extraordinary. Spot. Yeah. Really, really well. Um, he has earned, uh, you know, that start for game four. But you kind of wonder what adjustments Toronto is going to have to make to be able to get guys like Matthews and Marner more opportunities to get the puck on net. Um, you almost kind of wonder, too, with the Maple Leafs. And I, I'm curious to you, this and Noah, because they, they talk about how you can generate the passing plays in the regular season and how you're not defending the same way as you do in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? To me, this is where Maple Leaf hockey, that brand of hockey has its troubles, where it's it's just a more simple game, right? And that is just get your butt in front of the goaltender, make him not seat and make sure you get it through. And I feel like the Maple Leafs are that pretty passing type team. And that just is not usually conducive to being successful in the playoffs. Am I crazy when I say that? Or are you noticing the same thing? Well, I mean, I think the thing with Toronto is their ability is knowing that teams are going to try to shut down that high-flying offense and still being able to create it anyway. And here's the thing. If you have a team that I don't want to say is not willing to make those plays, but you look at the top six for Toronto, that's just not their style of play. Like you mentioned, their bottom six, definitely. I mean, the camp line and credit Sam Lafferty, that was his best game of the playoffs um, as well. They are as advertised for exactly what you're talking about, guys going to the front of the net, crashing the crease, filtering pucks through, that sort of thing. But if you're Toronto, really where it starts for those top units is getting Florida's defensemen to pinch at the blue line, to step up and become flat-footed when you're in transition. And if you can do that where you're getting pucks out of the zone and you're creating plays off the rush in transition, that's where Toronto really has success is they're able to spring those skill guys and create odd man rushes. And then it leads to either a goal on the rush or extended zone time, because now you have a team scrambling coming back. You start this suffocating offensive cycle. And that's kind of what Toronto's game is. They really haven't been able to establish that. And I think, uh, you know, besides the fact that the Toronto might be might, might need David Ayers to come and save them. Uh, <laughs> um, I, the, the thing with uh, Florida, actually, on the other side of this, the best thing to ever happen to the Panthers, weird take here, Alex Lyon. Because I think, not wrong. It, I think if the Panthers somehow beat the Bruins in five games, right, I almost feel like Toronto's a little bit more ready for the onslaught they just came through with. I mean, you look at the scores, 4-2, 3-2, 3-2 in overtime, right? I mean, it's, the scoring spreads have not been large. Right. But Toronto, or, or excuse me, Florida is this team who – barely eked into the playoffs mm-hmm. had a really rocky season. Hmm. Sounds and like another team like the 2012 Kings. Well, it's just, they're one of these teams that again, I go back to this point. They're almost too dumb to be realized that they shouldn't be controlling games or they should be out of hockey games. And they believe that they're the better team. They believe that they're the team that's going to win. And I'm not saying that every initial team doesn't believe that if you don't, why be in the playoffs, <clears throat> Minnesota wild. Um, 
But with Florida kind of being masked in the first couple of games, thinking that they were looking like they were out of it against Boston, and suddenly they come back and it looks like they have this dramatic comeback, which they did against the best team in the NHL this season. Toronto isn't looking at that thinking, oh my gosh, this Florida team is absolutely rolling. Like, here they are. This freight train is coming. It was, okay, the Panthers, oh, maybe they just kind of got lucky. Maybe they just kind of got through that round with the Bruins. And then it was like, no, this Panthers no. team is ready to go. And you look and you're down two games to oh, and suddenly you're gripping the sticks too tight. You give up a game winner in overtime in game three, and suddenly you're going, shit, we're in trouble yeah. here. And to your point with Flores defense, they haven't been flat-footed on their own blue line. They haven't been, shall we say, stepping up, um, you know, and shall we say at least, you know, knocking off the leaf forward, bringing the puck in. I think that's been the biggest thing, right? Radko Gudis has been turning people into tables and chairs, though, according to the officiating crew. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that's, to your point, though, that's what Florida has done so well is that they've not allowed Toronto to utilize the rush in their top six, right? They just haven't been there. And I think without that rush sort of, you know, for that top six to be have no success right now, you really got to tip your cap to Florida. And they're packing in the middle of the ice. They're not allowing them to get into the house, into those areas in front. Um, and Bobrovsky, despite the fact that at times he does leave some bad rebounds out there, um, there's five red jerseys within like three feet of where his crease is, right? So usually if there's a rebound, there's a, there's a red jersey there to clear it if there is one. So um, it's going to be tough because Florida has been sort of playing this defensive style uh, that against skilled teams, Boston and now Toronto, that's been very, very effective. And again, it's we, we keep going back to it. Defense wins championships, right? It's showing here. Boston was arguably the most talented team up and down its lineup. They're gone. Toronto, we know the names we've talked about and how you know lethal they can be if they have the time and space. They haven't gotten it here in the series. Um, they're going to have to, or else they're going to be again joining the Wild on the golf course somewhere. Um, around the the North American landscape. So, and I don't know, you know, do they have a chance against Carolina or New Jersey? Can you imagine that resume? Could you imagine being Carolina or New Jersey, looking at Florida going, holy S-H-I-T? Well, let's talk about that series too. And here's the thing. So Hurricanes, Devils, right? Uh, Carolina outscores New Jersey 11-2 to over the first two games. New Jersey wins 8-4 in game number three, despite giving up three shorthanded tallies against. Here's the thing. Uh, this Hurricanes Devils matchup, these are the top two teams that give up the most shots per game in the NHL playoffs right now. So, again, you talk about that defensive structure. Again, the team that comes out of that Florida Toronto series, and again, I, I will throw them both in there, has a better look against both of these clubs than I think I would have originally given them credit for. Both yeah. teams, their goaltending tandems have been interesting in terms of their cycles, to say the least, over the course of the playoffs here. I don't know what you said, David Ayers. He did kind of win it for Carolina. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to think about this series. To be honest with you, I think, uh, like you said, the favorite now is coming out of that Florida Toronto bracket on that side. Just say it. It's going to be Florida. Just say I, it. And I think, and I think on the other side of this, I'm not necessarily convinced. I'm not saying it's not going to be, but I don't think it's going to be the quick punch that everyone says it's going to be. I think it's going to take a little bit. I think it's going to take two or three games for the Panthers. That's all I'm saying. Um, I've, I call it max, but I think the West overall has the more intrigue that stars Kraken series. I know Seattle trounced the stars in game number three, but still, um, 
on that series is a chance to go to the distance. And so does Vegas and Edmonton. Yes. The, the challenge for the teams in the West is going to be to not beat up on each other too much to when they finally get to the Stanley cup final, whatever team comes out of there is too broken to right. put up Don't a fight against these teams. In. I tell you what, you look at the games ones of both of these series is how about the fact dry has four goals. Joe Pavelski comes back and has four goals, four goals. And, and both of those teams lose. <laughs> yeah. You know, Edmonton's power play right now is at 56% entering tonight's contest. Oh, is that good? <laughs> I know I know penalty kills that are worse than that. Well, like the Wilds in the playoffs? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was pretty close so to that number, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was, so it's, sadly, it's more true than we want it to be. Yeah, but um, like we like we said, I mean, uh, Seattle leads Dallas 2-1. to one. This Kraken team, like I said, a very defensively responsible team. Both of those teams, very good clubs this year. And I think that's where Minnesota yeah. fans take it with a grain of salt. I know the finish of the series was not great. Dallas is a good team this yeah. year, you know, and so is Seattle. Um Vegas, I'm still not sold on them right now, to be honest with you. Edmonton, the question is how much can their firepower continue to sustain them? Basically, if they can keep bringing the 50 cals out and keep on firing, they're going to be fine. The The scary thing is for teams that rely on that offense, a la the showing. Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. Boston Bruins. That's what happens if it suddenly disappears. So I, I, the NHL playoffs as a whole – um, obviously, we'll have a much better analysis as we move into next week because most of these series will be approaching the end or be finished, um, yep. depending on what bracket or what um, what sun, sunny state you're in, apparently. Um, but, Nick, I mean, any kind of closing thoughts in the NHL playoffs so far in round number two? It's been wild. How about Seattle, man? Actually, um, a lot was – I mean, they were starting to get some national respect about the defensive structure, but I think – you know, with some of the uh, just their forecheck has actually been a bit surprising to some people um, and how effective it's been against uh, I, the avalanche. Right. And then now uh, yesterday, we really saw the second period. Again, Ottinger did not look his normal self either. Um, granted, I, I was shocked that they didn't pull him a little bit earlier. Um, they did before the start of the third. But after that uh, fifth goal in the second, I really was scratching my head of why they just didn't get him out of there. Cause I think he was rattled again. It was kind of a, a shot that off been near stick that I think had, he got a full follow through. I'm not sure if it goes where it went. So I think it did kind of fool him a little bit. Uh, but yeah, uh, that one's been widely intriguing. Again, the, the back and forth between Vegas and Edmonton has been kind of fun to watch, but Holy cow, dry settle. Jeez Louise. Um, him and the David are just machines. Uh, oh, yeah. Eight, 18 points in, Eight games for Drysaddle, thirteen goals that's in that ridiculous. tally. Like that's ridiculous. Just, as, as my co-host will say, is that good? Yeah, I mean, in <laughs> uh, in in the way the NHL playoffs have gone, this team is going to lose in the second round because reasons. That's yeah. the way things have been trending. So. Because Mark Stone, right? Pretty um, much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When wouldn't that be the most NHL thing ever? Mark Stone carries the Vegas Golden Knights to a conference final, tears something in his back, and that's that, right? I mean, that's just Seattle goes on to play the Florida Panthers in the cup final, which ninety-nine oh. percent of people I joked about this last week. It's starting to look more and more like likely than I think any one of us thought guess, it ever would be. I guess the, the question I'd have to ask in that case is, do you favor land or do you favor sea? That's. Oh, boy. I don't know. I, uh, 
Oh my! If the Seattle Kraken win a cup this year and Connor Bedard gets selected by the Chicago Blackhawks, I swear to goodness, Nick, you just it's, a, the it's, <laughs> it's a bad thing that I have now risen the height of my apartment. I'm just going to put it to you that way. <laughs> just, kidding, kidding. But uh, yeah, it, maybe not. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> moving on to the NHL awards here. Uh, very quick topic that we're going to kind of roll through here, but there are a couple that we've already started to hear from. One of them, including a Seattle Kraken player. So uh, mm-hmm. let's pull these up here. We will start. Uh, with the Calder Trophy finalists here for uh, the NHL's top rookie, Matty Beneers of the Kraken, uh, Owen Power of Buffalo, Stuart Skinner, by the way. Yeah. Um, not often that you see a netminder in the conversation here, so I think this is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. So Beneers, uh, league lead among um, this particular class in goals with 24, led rookies in points with 57, even strength points with 46. Um, pretty good average ice time, a little over 17 minutes a night. Um, Skinner has been great, a 9-14 save percentage for him, 29 wins on the season. Owen Power leads the Buffalo Sabres defense core in ice time, um, outpacing the next rookie, which is Jake Sanderson, actually. Um, the Ottawa Senators by two minutes in that category. Um, 31 assists for him, 35 points in the back end. So a pretty good season for Owen Power as well, too. I, I just I, I think it's hard to argue Matty Beneers and just what he's brought to that cracking club. I mean, both, all three have been very deserving, but I just think to me, it's down to two names. It is Stuart Skinner and Matty Beneers, not to take yeah. anyone like we said with Owen Power. Um, he is going to be quite, you know, the stalwart on that uh, Buffalo Sabres blue line for some time. But I, the one thing why I'm intrigued by Stuart Skinner is, again, Jack Campbell. He was yeah. supposed to be that missing piece. He's supposed to be that goaltender that actually could stop a puck for the Oilers in the playoffs or at a, t- a time that mattered. And he just wasn't that way. He just wasn't, yeah. right? Um, and then he gets hurt, right? So then Stuart Skinner comes in with all this pressure. Um, and he's basically now it's his net, right? So, you know, it, it's, it's, and that's why, to your point, I'm so glad that there's a goaltender in this mix because I really do think. Where would the Oilers be if Stuart Skinner wasn't there, right? I, yeah. I think there's an argument to be made, especially with the goaltender in the conversation. Because like you said, hey, it's it's hard, right? Because a lot of the colder is is the points, it's the flash, it's the goals, it's the skill, right? Where I, I was just thinking when you said where would the Edmonton Oilers be without him? And I would say winning games nine eight in overtime. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also possible. Um well, I'm trying to remember, is it Victor, you know, Victor Faust would like a word? Yeah, he was one of the old netminders. I mean, gosh, there's a oh, list that goes yeah, yeah. mile I mean, the la- I mean, the last great, I mean, don't even throw uh, Devin Dubnik when he was there in, in yeah. Edmonton at that time. Really the Can't last great, really the last, well, maybe the really the last great goaltender that the Oilers had was probably Dwayne Rolison. Like, Willie the goalie, yeah, because wasn't he backstopping their cup run in 06? Yeah, it was him, but then he got hurt. Remember, he got hurt. Yeah, in the, that's right. He got hurt. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. And so it's to me, there's a chance for Skinner, too. Um, I really didn't. And I say there's a pretty good chance if Edmonton goes to the cup final. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Even though that yeah. there aren't, well, the Volts already cast, I think, aren't they? So maybe not. I don't know. I just, I think it's between yeah. those two. In years is the obvious pick because that's. But I think. I think it testifies to the point where Seattle and Edmonton can make the conference final. And I think there's kind of your case in point for both of these guys getting a chance. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you in that regard. I think it's going to be one of the two. I think Beniers is probably the safer pick, so to speak, but it'd be interesting to see a netminder win 
win that award. I wonder when the last time a netminder has won it has been, to be honest with you. Um, or a Calder. Um, I know this. Ryan, wasn't it Ryan Miller? I could see it being Ryan Miller. Um, I'm, I'm going to double check it. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Would Andre Vasilevsky have had a chance? Although he probably, uh, Vasilevsky yes. was probably, probably with somebody who was an unreal goal scorer, I'm sure. But um, I mean, what would he? Why don't we try this thing called Google goalies? I got it right here. To win the Calder, Andrew Raycroft. Oh my gosh, gross! That was 2004, <laughs> and that's actually the first year, if I remember, that Ryan Miller was in the league. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Let's see here. Um, yeah, what is yeah, Andrew Raycroft. Yeah, of course. I uh, good to see a lot of defensemen show up on this list. By the way, of course, and you then, know, more uh, cider. And then Evgeny Nabokov, the old Sharks net miner, 2001. Back in yeah. Marty Brodeur uh, in '94, Belfour '91, um, Tom Barrasso in '84. Yeah, um, yeah, not not many. Oh, Ken Dryden in '72, Denny Potvin. So yeah, it's it's not it's not a lot, right? Because again, it's it's more on the skill and whatnot. So if a goaltender is, I mean, they're I guess you could say that the goaltender on this list have gone on to have some pretty pretty good careers if you won the Calder. So, right, maybe minus Raycroft, but that's fine. So yeah, um, I uh, Nick though, uh, nineteen thirty nine, Frank Brimsek, Boston Bruins. Come on, man, you're just on this Boston Bruins kick, aren't you? Oh, you don't know the significance of this, do you? Frank Brimsek, no. I believe, is a Saint Cloud State grad, if I'm not mistaken. You really? Um, yeah. So. Um, I feel like we covered that at some point, probably way over yonder. Way way back younger. Yeah. Um, anyway, speaking of guys who aren't necessarily young, well, two of them are anyway, um, San Jose Sharks veteran Eric Carlson, New York Rangers defenseman Adam Fox, Colorado Avs blue, blue liner Kale McCarr are the Norris Trophy finalists. Um, Nick, I'm curious to see if you have the same mindset. I, for me, I don't think this is any contest. You have Eric Carlson, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, come you on. You said absolutely, but you shook your head. No, I said like absolutely. Yeah, like, you uh, did like, this. You shook like, your head. Yeah, like of course it is. Like it'd be incredulous to think it would be anybody else. And don't get me wrong, Fox at seventy points this year was a great year. Kale McCarr, obviously a great hockey player. I mean, Eric Carlson. I mean, on that terrible Sharks team, who they only had two players the entire season who finished the season with a zero plus minus. Everybody else was in the negatives, and the two guys that did played like three combined games. Yeah. So. I think, you know, to have 101 points and finish one point behind Elias Pettersson for 11th in league scoring as a defenseman. And someone made the comment, they were like, oh, well, he was minus 26 this year. So how can you consider him for this award? I'm like, minus plus minus is only a valid stat if it goes against the reflection of everybody else on your team. Like if everybody else in the Sharks was like plus 12 and he was negative 18. Yeah. Okay. okay. But yeah. like, unbelievable, man. What a year. Yeah, the one I, I might have a hot take here. It you kind of wonder if the Sharks season drags his voting down a bit. And I'm not saying that to discredit Eric Carlson. I'm saying that it's to me, I think some trophy voters, you wonder if they look at the team's success as part of their voting. So it wouldn't shock me. If Adam Fox got a few more, just based on that, if you're if you're talking about best season, Eric Carlson yeah. for sure, right? And in there, but you kind of wonder if there's an influence there. We'll see, but you know, it wouldn't shock me if it did not go to Eric Carlson just because of the team that he was on. 
Here's the thing, though. This will be Carlson's third Norris Trophy, and it's the, mm-hmm. his best career year to date. So I'm like, if he can yeah. win the Norris twice with, you know what I mean? Like, no, I get it. And yeah. and like I said, it's it's not my take, right? I I think yeah. we're both in agreement that Carlson is, you know, the obvious choice. But again, we're not the ones submitting the votes, and you kind of wonder just from what we've seen sometimes in the past that maybe the player that's got the better numbers is slighted by the team he was on. Um, so I'm curious to how the voters saw it. Um, I know that he was getting a lot of love towards, especially through the trade deadline. There was talks. Would he be traded out of San Jose again? That contract is just not movable with that cap hit. Um, but you kind of wonder if that stuck around or when we come to voting time at the end of the season, you know, does that lack of team success creep in? And, you know, some of these other names like McCarr, who again, fantastic defenseman and Adam Fox, who has won a Norris himself before too. If um, that creeps in is, you know, the, the shift and the mentality changes more to playoff contenders versus the best player. Yeah. McCarr, um, or excuse me, Fox won it a couple of years ago. McCarr is the reigning defending player who is the last Norris trophy winner to win back-to-back Norris trophies. Nick, any idea? I should know this. You were alive, so uh, that's 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 a wide gap. Let's remember this. Um, Ryan Leach. No, I uh, a little bit more recent-ish. Um, Nick Lidstrom. Yeah, Nick Lidstrom, yeah. three peat uh, in the mid two thousands. So uh, Kale McCarr, if he wins it, would be the next. So uh, yeah, but three guys very deserving, multiple awards between these guys so no surprise that they continue their consistent play uh of course all starts with coaching though right our final award that is early as of right now uh, a couple of former nchc coaches in this uh by yeah. the way jim montgomery of the bruins dave haxtall of the kraken and lindy ruff of the new jersey devils were the finalists for the jack adams award for the best coach that is a judge to have contributed the most to his team's success aka they were really good um yeah. you know nick if the Bruins get out of the first round, I think it's Jim Montgomery, no question. But I think given the success of the Seattle Kraken and the turnaround from last year, I think it's pretty hard to say no to Dave Haxtell. Uh, I still think it's Montgomery's to you know, lose. And I, and, I, and I wouldn't be shocked just because of how good the Bruins were this right. season. But, but what Dave Haxtell wrong. has done has been incredible. And for a guy that really didn't find a home in Philadelphia, granted, not a great team for him. Nor and a lot of question marks around him. He's finally found his group. Right. The the one thing that is different with Haxtell that to me puts him a little bit below uh, Jim Montgomery is that Kraken team also had a little bit of reconstructive surgery too. They they're, uh, they got some more weapons this offseason, um, which I think complements not only their defensive style, but also that means they can strike back. They can transition the puck, not taking away that the job of Haxtell is done. I want to make sure I'm clear on that, but Jim Montgomery had a largely the same team, largely the same team. So to me, when you can have it, it it's more on the coaching to me, if you have a similar roster and they make that big of a jump, now granted yeah. the one thing you pointed out, I think is again, does the lack of playoff success hurt him in this voting? It's very well, Mike. Good, and if it does, it is indeed Haxtell to lose. But I still find it very difficult for the voters 
to not award a Jack Adams winner that set NHL regular season mm-hmm. records. That to me might be the nail in the coffin, regardless of the playoff lack of success, shall you say. But either way, kind of cool to see two former NCHC coaches uh, to be, you know, at the highest level of NHL coaching to be, you know, looked at as the bench coach yeah. in hockey and both deservingly uh, should be there in that final three this year. Yeah, good to see Lindy Ruff in that conversation too, by the way. He's kind of had a, a journeyman suitcase career as of recent, and good to see him kind of find success in, in He's kind of been an up and so. down, right, where, yeah. um, you know, again, with Buffalo, right, where, you know, when Buffalo was back in its heyday, right, that was kind of where they were, you know, a consistent playoff contender. Then he's kind of had some, shall I say, some stops along the way, as you said, and it's kind of seemed like he's found a niche back in the East Coast again with New Jersey, again, stops and what Dallas and, I'm trying to remember if he had another stop in between the two. I'm sure he did, uh, but has found a, a groove here and is looking to get the Devils back even here against Carolina um, after making it to the second round. So kind of cool for him, too, because uh, he's been around and has coached a lot of hockey games. Yeah, certainly has. Uh, we move on to the last topic in the main portion of the show, the NHL draft lottery, and we can't wait to talk about this one. Um, yeah, well. The hockey gods, again, for the Minnesota Wild. And you know, it's funny. So at work today, I was like joking with a client of mine. And I said, watch the Blackhawks win this because, again, big market, Kane and Taves era is essentially dead. It's gone. And I more said it as, you know, imagine like in 2004, and you probably don't remember this, Noah, because you were still trying to learn how to read and write. But um, this team was actually being talked about contraction, about moving them away from Chicago because yeah, they didn't have a stretch of success for a long yeah, time. Yeah, the only player they had that was good was Eric Daze. Like, Tony Amante, maybe. Yeah, Tony Amante was pretty good too, yeah. But either way, um, too, and they weren't superstar caliber players. Now, mind you, the NHL was about to transition its game also, 04-05, right, to be more of the skill first. And you probably don't remember this too. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to test you in this. Do you remember mm-hmm. the two-line pass rule? Yeah, it, it yeah it, it wasn't until the lockout that they switched it because it. you literally couldn't pass from your own zone across the center ice line. Nope. Like it was ridiculous, the dumbest freaking rule in the world. And before then, it wasn't a touch up. I you know off sides. It was still if it just happened, it was blown dead. So, and why I bring that up is I think an you know I think a really cool extra ice session be to look at some of those rule changes that I think people forget about from or four or five and that lost season into how that really catapulted the NHL to be more of that skill uh, based team, how it really has changed the NHL to what we are seeing now. Because back then, it was still, you had to be big, you had to be somewhat of a bruiser, right? And uh, if you are a skill guy, you better, you know, be ready to take some hits here and there, right? 2004-05. I'm just still stuck on the parallax goal for the Calgary Flames. I know, right? Holy uh, cow. Um, But going back to Chicago... We come on, I mean, I know in the central division, right? And you know, it's just like, because he's is he gonna make he's gonna make an immediate impact? Sure. Now there's still a lot of pieces that they've he's not he can't do it by himself, right? And it's, he's gonna have a couple of years. Where he's gonna have to try to figure it out, and they're gonna have to build around him, right? So they're it's it's not immediate, but if you time it out right, that means right when they probably are gonna be assembling a decently con- good contending team. The Wild are just going to be coming out of cap hell. And what should say, Kuro Kaprizov was going to need a new contract. So I um, um, 
Yikes. Maybe this is a hot take. I think he could have 50 points next year. Bernard? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a hot take. You know, the only thing is who who's going to be around and be that supporting cast. I think if you put him on a, a, a good hockey team, you know, like it's no question. But um, so, yeah, Chicago does pick number one. Anaheim gets number two. And then we go down the order. Columbus, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona are your top six. So um, beyond that, Philly, Washington, Detroit and St. Louis round out your top 10 crazy. St. Louis is drafting 10th this year. Um, Vancouver yeah. at 11, Arizona at 12, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and Nashville and Calgary. We talked about it. Or maybe we didn't talk about it. There, there would have been a statistically astronomically small chance that Arizona could have picked one and two in this draft, but obviously did not happen. Um, yeah. You know, here's, here's the thing. I, uh, I mean, you look at these franchises, Anaheim, Columbus, San Jose, all three of those teams really needed yeah. a, su- a superstar, you know, and I'm yes. not saying Chicago doesn't, I think, you know, as wild fans and seeing the success that Chicago had in the early to mid 2010s with their three Stanley cups. And obviously, you know, the great core that Kane and Taves and Hosa and Patrick Sharp and guys, like you know, Keith Seabrook, Keith, yep. Corey Crawford. Right. Crawford. I mean, Oh, you mean not in Amy? Yeah, it's it's been uh, um, and Nikolai Hobby Bullen. No, it's uh, it's been a while for a year. Yeah, it's been a while. Oh, don't forget, Dustin Bufflin won a cup with that team in, in yeah, 2010. 2010. Um, he was part of that big offload because they were so much over yeah, the cap. Andrew that, Ladd, yeah, Andrew um, Ladd, Dave. How about Dave Bullen scoring the the cup winning goal? Um, and then essentially being traded out. Oh, yeah, gosh. you know, Stu Bickle, by the way. Um, you know, so that's the thing is, I I know that we saw that success from Chicago, and of course, you have the whole off ice stuff that we've had over the past couple of years, but really. Chicago has not been a great team for the, for the past five or six years. You know, I think that is fair to say where they are a team that has really struggled. So uh, as much as I hate it, I hate it. I hate it. It is good for that franchise to be relevant again, and it will catapult that and jumpstart them to being relevant in the central again. I I just, I really hate it. (laughs) No. And here's something else too. Whether it's Bill Guerin, whoever is going to be the GM when we get out of cap hell, you know, I still think it's going to be Garen now with Chicago with Bedard and they can now build another legit contender. I would think that, you know, if Bill Garen's watching, he's also pounding his fist too, because that's going to force his hand a, a little bit. Right. Because, mm-hmm. and again, we, we talked about this, I think a little bit, uh, both on and off air. Like we, we, we see who the player is because already signed long term. So Freddie Goudreau, Matt Boldy, uh, Kirill Kaprizov and who am I missing? Um, You'll Jewel Erickson up front, and then basically it's what Brodine and Spurgeon in the back end. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's a wide open checkbook, right? Mm-hmm. And now with Bedard going to a division rival and knowing that it's going to take him probably two or three years, but after that, it's going to be like, oh gosh, this team's going to be scary good, right? Um, you're going to have to try to make your run. Yeah. Right there in 25, right? You're going to have to go chips all in. So you kind of wonder too if that advances a little bit of, or I don't want to say change, but make sure you have enough either assets or cap space to make a good push in 2025, 26. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, Chicago in 26, 27 
is going to look really scary. Yeah, they still need a lot of pieces, though. I really like the approach that Kyle Davidson has had. I think he's going to be a good GM in Chicago. You know, you look at his quote. I mean, he was pretty startled at the fact that they were able to pick first overall, too. And I think that he he does bring a good uh, infusion from that old, the old good old boys club that was there that kind of tainted a little bit of what that organization was. So you'd like to see them kind of reset here. Of course, the draft June 28th and 29th at Bridgestone arena in Nashville, Nick, um, the Chicago Blackhawks have only picked first overall one time before. Um, Any idea who that was Patrick Kane in what year? 2006. You're close. 2007. Was it seven? Yeah, but very good guess. Very good guess. So, uh, yeah, the Hawks win the draft lottery. Of course, second overall will, will likely be Oops. Adam Fantilli. Oh, right. First since, was it, wasn't Eric Johnson first in 06? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. Now he's like a third-pairing seventh defenseman for that club. Um, yeah. But, yeah, uh, Adam Fantilli, Michkov as well, too. I mean, there's another yeah. guy that, you know, has kind of been floated around. So, you know, here's the thing with drafts, too, that I know that Ducks fans are probably screaming at their TVs or have been. But um, well, Fantilli's still a hell of a player if they pick him. You know, here's the thing is sometimes picking first or second, it's great, especially in this draft. Like, Connor McDard is, is an unbelievable talent. Yes, I would be yes. shocked if he doesn't assimilate to the National Hockey League. But sometimes picking, like, three to six – is where you can find these diamonds in a, in the rough where you don't feel like you're forced to pick the best available on the board based on a, a season or two that a guy has had. I think of one of my favorite picks of all time, and I know that even the board when they were going through it live on draft day was a little bit stunned at this pick, but then you watch the video that they showed in like the, the draft package on TV, and you could see right away why this pick was made, even if it was still kind of rough around the edges. Moritz Sider, a couple of years ago at six overall, yeah. Steve Eiserman goes off the board and everyone goes, what the heck is he doing? And then they showed the package of this defenseman who was just powering around guys, a big, strong body, good skill, good hockey IQ. And you're like, he's not NHL ready. But boy, he will be. And look how that pick turned out. And I think about picks like that. You look at guys, Miro Heiskinen, who unfortunately got hurt the other night in the Dallas game, right? You look at some of these guys who are picked at three, four, five, six, seven, sometimes pan out a little bit easier because, yes, they're a high draft pick, but they're not number one, number two. They're not, you know, they're not Slavkovsky. They're not Shane Wright, where there's this feeling of, oh my gosh, like I have to produce, I have to be that guy. Yes, you're a high draft pick, but I just feel like the process is a little bit easier for some of these teams. I would not rule out Columbus, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philadelphia having some really good picks, especially in a draft this deep. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, did you want to add anything else related to our draft, uh, our draft, our draft lottery coverage? You know, here's the thing with Anaheim picking second. Um, you've got a couple of guys up front, right, that you really like in Trevor Zegras um, and why well, can't I think of the other guy that they just got last year from Team Canada? The oh, um, oh, my gosh. You're – hold on. I'll, I'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> it. You know, I'd be curious if they want to add another forward or do they go defenseman because they really – I mean, besides what, Cam Fowler – and he's sort of, you know, he's up there in age too now, which is shocking to say mm-hmm. because I watched him his rookie, his rookie uh, debut. Uh, but they don't really have a bona fide number one defensive are you, prospect. Are you right? talking about Troy Terry or Mason McTavish? McTavish, yeah, yeah, yeah. McTavish is who I was thinking. Max Jones too, Maxime Comtois, a couple of young yeah. guys on that team. But defensively, right, isn't you know most of their guys just aren't like what you call 
number one prospects, right? And I think part of what Anaheim's part of their big struggle this last year is, I mean, they could score, but they also could not keep the puck out of the net. And for John Gibson, he needs some help in front of him. He really does. Um, yeah, you kind of wonder what his future in Anaheim looks like too. Geez, he's had to deal with a lot. Well, but, um, you know, you know, I mean, just looking at some of those teams that just need need some help. Arizona's another one. Final question in the main portion of the show here, Nick, and I just yeah. want to run through it very quickly here. Sure. Logan Cooley. Yeah. Where does he end up? Ooh. Um, well, it's funny because a couple months ago, there was Craig Morgan, who was a reporter for in Arizona, had mentioned that at least reported that he had told his agent he was signing with the Coyotes after his freshman season. And now apparently that's either changed or that wasn't accurate. One of the two. I, you know, think I think he's running it back, man. I really do. So do I. I get the sense that if he hasn't signed already, then he's got to be coming back to the Gophers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for him to, with Arizona and just again the you know the, the so called the, the cycle of fun with Arizona just doesn't seem to end. There's no rush for him to get there right now. There really isn't, and especially if I mean, gosh, in a week if we're talking about how proposition 301 or it is failed yeah. oh boy right or, so, or on the flip side if arizona had gotten bedard and you say oh i'd love to play with him like you know right it, does it change something yeah, yeah. so and to me you know I, I think he's going back to the golfers um again if he hasn't signed yet uh to i mean can we both at least agree he's an nhl caliber talent he could easily oh, fit into Top arizona's roster sure. yeah like right now if he signed absolutely so to me knowing yeah. that and we're in agreement on that. If he hasn't signed yet, he's coming back. Yeah, I agree with you too. But uh, speaking of coming back or maybe leaving, we're going to talk about that Arizona franchise and everything that goes on with the Arizona Coyotes. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode 161 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here uh, just hanging out, talking to hockey. And uh, yeah, the Arizona Coyotes are hanging out waiting for their fate on May 16th or thereabouts, essentially, as to what that Tempe proposal is going to look like. I guess preliminary thoughts here, Nick, before we move any farther than that. What do you think? What do you think we're going to hear in about a week and a half? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know, honestly. And I say that because thanks. thanks. You're useless, man. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not (laughs) you. But um. I'm I'm not as confident that they passed this and here's why. Oh boy, there is there's something we said about you know the people that have come down to express support for it, right? Batman was down there a couple of weeks ago. Shane Doan has come out. There's been a lot of the city of Tempe even has kind of said, Hey, this project goes through. There's this is not on us. This is a privately funded totally enterprise. The problem has been is there's been a pretty largely organized anti, you know, campaign against this thing and a lot of misinformation, mm-hmm. a lot of false information too. So, and why to me that's such a big deal, especially in that market with that ownership group is there's a lot of Arizonans and te- people in Tampa that don't still trust this ownership group. The Coyotes themselves have been a troubled franchise. And whether it's the current owner's fault or not, right? It's 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 not new, right? So I'm not as sold. I'm just not because this Coyotes club just has not been able to find that break 
that they need to just be like, yeah, we're here. We're here to stay. This is that ticket. The question is, do the residents buy that sell, right? And that's where Arizona's to me, that is a state that on many different fronts is kind of a wild card in these situations, right? And again, the the recent history, the recent news of counties not being able to pay their taxes and being able to pay rent on the building back in Glendale, right? All of this stuff is in the voters' minds when they talk about this, right? So the question is going to be, just from a simple step, does this fan base, does this city want this to did this happen, right? Does it help that it's not just an arena that there's going to be apartments, there's going to be an entertainment district, there's going to be hotels, right? It's not just a coyote's proposal. It's more than that. I think that helps. So if you had to ask me one or the other, to me, it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I don't think it's going to be a big margin. I think it's going to be slim, but I do think it does get through. Yeah, you got to believe that the NHL is concocting some sort of something to try to do everything they can in that market to hopefully, I don't want to say influence, but like, you know, try they, to do what they can. It's well, and let's, let's be honest, right? We've talked about it from a college hockey perspective. This is a college hockey podcast, how we've been wanting and, and needing more than just Arizona State, right? Right. Teams to essentially put forth a Division One program. In neighboring cities like San Diego and UCLA, Oregon, we've talked about uh, them before, UNLV, right? There is a bigger hockey influence than just the Coyotes that is on this boat. There really, really is. And if people wonder why the NHL has stuck its flag in the ground and been stubborn to move it, they know it too. You can't have this hole between the California teams and Vegas and the next closest team would be what Dallas and San yeah, the Texas teams. Colorado, yeah. right? So they need that to be a placeholder if this game is going to succeed and hold its ground in the Southwest. the The best news is you've you've had the Kings win a couple of cups recently, recently, right? Uh, <laughs> San Jose for a large part of the 2000s, 2010s was a perennial playoff contender. Went to the Cup final was a 2017 against uh, Pittsburgh. 16, 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. And then the Anaheim, they won a cup in 07. So you've got some winning franchises down there, right? You, you've had success. Arizona hasn't had that. Um, but again, they need to have a presence in that state. So to me, there's more on the line to the NHL than just a team and its ownership. And I just want to be in this market. No, to me, the the long, shall we say, the, the, the way that this game lasts in the Southwest also rides with Arizona keeping the Coyotes. I really do feel that way. Um, so, and we, and we saw it right with all the voices that came out in support of it. So I think it'll pass. It's going to be close. Um, and thankfully, if it, if it does now, don't get me wrong. The NHL, you know, has a, has a backup plan for this. If they don't mm-hmm. question is, what is that? We won't know until it fails. If it does, because you know, secretly, they're trying to come up with either some kind of appeal or some sort of different proposal because, they're going to fight for this until there's no options left. And supposedly if this fails, there's a plan B slash plan C that they could do that involves, I think native American land somewhere close to where it is. But again, we've largely not heard much about that, but I think it does stay. What do you think? Well, I, I don't really know that I have a feeling either way, to be honest with you. I think it's just kind of, it's just kind of Arizona coyotes, the continued sludge that is their PR campaigns, right? Like, it's, yeah. um, 
I, the, I, it's it's weird, right? It's like you would think we would have a better t- you know gauge on the temperature of this, but yeah, it just feels like maybe maybe that is the temperature. Maybe lukewarm is the temperature. I think that you yeah. know there there doesn't have to be. I, I also think about the idea too. Think about when Vegas first was getting ready to get a franchise and we were kind of like, ah, like Vegas, like they haven't really had a sustainable sports market. Like that doesn't, they've got a lot of quirky things. And now we look back and we're like, yeah, now we're like, why the hell didn't this happen 25 years ago? Yeah. But like, you know, uh, hindsight is 2020. It's easy to be the Monday morning quarterback. Right. So, um, well, and the big difference is the, the right ownership group with Vegas, right. Uh, the NHL also went hard with it. Um, they've had early success too, which helps I me mean, making the cup final in your inaugural year. We're kind of like the, the sweetheart NHL story also helps. Whereas Arizona really never had that right now. Granted they came in a different time of the NHL. Um, we've talked about the struggles of previous ownerships, um, both with money and both with reinvesting in the team. Um, so, uh, you know, and then of course the arena kerfuffles, the city of Glendale on top of, you know, Gila river arena. I mean, they just, they've had, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock right and if this proposal does go through you you think that most of the you know the shackles come off right of the organization you would think um and but the other side of the coin is now the spotlight goes right back to ownership right which is you've got the building you've got state-of-the-art this and it's not a college rink anymore that's good right um but now you've historically not spent money in fact, you've taken on essentially dead contracts so that way you could be cap compliant, but your actual salary spent is minuscule. Now it's your turn, right? So, and so I think maybe, the, and that's going to be the next part of the conversation is if this does go through, this building is built and the Arizona now has a permanent home for the next 30 years. Now does ownership follow task and actually reinvest in the squad? They've got a lot of young talent, some a lot of high level young talent that's coming in. They're going to have to pay to keep them around. They'll have to do that for Arizona to be essentially far and away from what they have been over the last, what, 10, 15 years? Because I think what yeah. their last playoff big run was, what, 2012? 2012. Yeah. It, was the, it was the year that Dustin Penner scored the game winner in game five. Yep. Yep. That's what it was. Yep. Um, so, regardless, though, uh, regardless of how this shakes out and regardless of if Arizona would move or would stay, there's been a conversation regardless about uh, other cities that have kind of would be a viable destination for the national hockey league, whether it would be the Arizona coyotes or the possibility of moving to 33 or 34 teams, potentially Um, uh, Houston obviously has been talked about Quebec city has not been given up by the NHL, but I think because of it being a small market, there's a lot of logistical challenges with that. And the Canadian dollar challenges. Yeah. The Canadian dollar is a challenge. There is a guy on YouTube by the name of the hockey guy, by the way, that I would definitely encourage listening to kind of his thoughts on it too. He just does a fantastic job. He's just, I I love his delivery because it's so unique. It's so like, I'm a bit of an older guy and I own every bit of that and watch my product kind of thing. I just, I love what he brings to the table. It's very wise too. You know, yeah. with Quebec city, he, he doesn't mince words, but he says it softly, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, you speak softly, but you kind of, his words carry a big stick. Maybe that's the way to phrase it. Right. Yeah. Whereas he's, he's just going to give it to you how it is. Right. And it, you know, the, the conversation around Quebec city has been around since the Nordics left. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they built an arena. Was it five, 
seven years ago. Yeah, which um, which was the big the big issue when they of course left. They were getting ready for those new jerseys that had the Huskies on them actually too. And then yeah. it was like, well, they're realizing that it wasn't this massive drop, but they were you know steadily losing revenue and yep. it was like this might not be viable and the concern was not only with quebec city with most of the canadian markets where the thought was we might be a fully u.s based mm-hmm. league because of where the canadian dollar was at and it was you tanking. know yeah you know and i think you know there's been talk about a place like kansas city which i don't think is like necessarily out of the question and then of oh. course and then of course atlanta too who um, has generated interest, especially fan interest as well, too. And I think when you talk about like Quebec City, I feel like the NHL would have to be at a point where they want to bring in, you know, two or four teams and Quebec City is part of that package where they're not alone yep. in trying to trying to make that jump. Also, don't forget about the fact, too, that it is so expensive to bring in a National Hockey League team. When the Wild came in, their their buy-in was $80 million. Now you're looking at $570, $600 million. And you know? 50 was for Seattle. Exactly. So, yep. But the conversation that I think is most interesting, and it's part of the headline on the graphic here for the YouTube channel, is Atlanta, because they had the Flames until 1980, who, of course, became yep. Calgary. The Thrashers then, of course, became the Winnipeg Jets 2.0. And now there's a conversation about them getting a third NHL team, which is like totally unprecedented, unprecedented in league history. And at first you hear it and you go, not a chance, no way. But then you think about why did the Thrashers fail all of those years ago? They had a poor on ice product because they couldn't retain good players. Because like you mentioned to me pre-show, they gave them all away, basically. They didn't want to pay for them. No. But really, Atlanta struggles with the fact that there are fans down there that really enjoy the game of hockey and want a hockey team down there. They struggle with the PR and marketing, marketing the game of hockey to fans who are unfamiliar with the sport. Let's be real. Georgia, Atlanta, basketball, football markets, the not necessarily a traditional hockey market. Yeah. But with that being said, you teach them the game and you give them a good honest product that they enjoy watching. I don't think it's actually out of the question that Atlanta could have a good hockey team, but you need the right management group and you need the right game plan and mindset to be able to reach that target market. Cause it is a big market. It's just not a hockey savvy market. Talk about Vegas. Talk about even Arizona when Arizona has been good. People have been there, but you know, I I don't think that the Thrashers 2.0, Flames 2.0, whatever. I don't think it's outrageous. So you probably, maybe you made the parallel, but there's a lot of similarities to Arizona and Atlanta in terms of non-traditional hockey market. Mm-hmm. Fans maybe not seeing the NHL as, shall we say, they just don't understand it, right? But more importantly, it's important to the sustainability of the game of hockey, right? We talked about the hole that would be in the NHL map or hockey map if Arizona left. There's a hole in the southeast, and it's Atlanta is the bullseye of it, right? And let's take this one step further. The University of Alabama, a little bit further away from that, but guess what? Um, They've got club hockey. There's a lot of club hockey. Club hockey is huge right? So Oklahoma, yep, it's yeah. So to me, it's it's you said management, yes, but to me, right ownership has yeah. got to be number one for Atlanta. And I think what's more encouraging about this proposal is that 
This didn't come from a city. This came from a group, a, an investment group that says, we want to make this work and we're willing to invest in the building. Phillips Arena, which did house uh, the Thrashers, was not the best building. It was not the best location um, in terms of just fan experience, right? So this would hopefully address that. But more importantly, the ownership group, if I understand it correctly, they were bought and sold. The Hawks and the Thrashers, they were bought together. And the previous ownership group essentially bought the Thrashers just because, effectively, right? Whether that's 100% true or not, I don't know. But there seems to be you know, smoke where there's fire. And that is, if you look at what that you know franchise did, it didn't retain any of its great players that it drafted. It never reinvested in the team. And then when they weren't getting the, shall I say, the, the ticket sales, right? Then they started to kind of panic mm-hmm. towards the end. By that time, it was too little too late, right? So I, I think more importantly, if you have an ownership group that's willing to, again, address the arena, which there is a proposal out there, has just been a proposal. There's been, if I understand, no, like, shall I say, legislation as far as let's talk about this, so anything like officially moving and, forward on it. And don't forget the challenge too, uh, you know, league expansion or relocation, you put a team in Atlanta, you got to move somebody West and that's or and, expand and West, right? Well, well, the big conversation too is, you know, the first thought was, Oh, the Detroit Red Wings, Detroit has no intention of moving back that direction. Neither does Columbus. And I think that that's where, no. you know, finding another team that's willing to make that jump, no, and it's it's know. not going to happen because, and I and I think you're right, and I think it's not going to be a one team expansion, right? Because again, the initial likes it's even numbers. Uh, Seattle now eight teams each division, sixteen in the West, sixteen in the East, right? It's nice, right? Even numbers are people's like you know CDO, not OCD. That's that's, that's math that I can handle, right? Um, <laughs> which I thought you could handle more math than that, but anyways, you know, it's um, a pretty low bar. But, could you could you see it this way? Let's just say Atlanta or not Atlanta. Let's just say that Arizona stays where it's at, right? Let's just say the NHL expands Atlanta and Houston together, or Kansas City. I could see Atla- City. Atlanta, Houston, Kansas City, Quebec. Two in the east, two in the west. I think they would do it in two chunks. Yeah, uh, you know, so two. Mm. So yeah. you get you get you get Atlanta, then you maybe you get Kansas City. I still Kansas City is good, but I wonder. Because I think with Houston, it's just a big market, but there's also some different challenges in Houston that would give it maybe a leg down on, say, Kansas City. And Kansas City also, we talk about club hockey, and it's Mm. kind of a uniquely, you know, sort of a niche hockey market, but I think could do well given the right circumstances. But how about this in the West? Salt Lake City? Yeah. Because you think if it's Kansas City or Houston, that's the central division, right? But you need something in the West. You already have three teams in California, so that ain't happening. You've got Vegas. Atlanta would be in with Carolina, Florida, things like that. And then Quebec yep. City would be up where Boston, Montreal, all those guys are. So, yep. so, but could you, you know, and are there other options out there, right? For hockey? I don't, I don't know. Could they go back to Hartford? You know, too small of a market, too I think. Too small of a market, probably yeah. like, you, you know, um, just cause it's oversaturated with so many other teams around there too, you know, like yeah, that's, that's really the big problem. And again, New York, technically three teams, that kind of thing. So, yeah. and the, and uh, the talking point too, uh, literally and figuratively is Quebec is a like predominantly French only speaking city in terms of Quebec city versus Montreal. You have a pretty good mix of people who are French Canadian people who are more English speaking, that sort of thing too. So you kind of yeah. have that little like inter 
interprovincial war, so to speak. So, sure. um, you know, you have that intrigue too. Uh, the Canadian dollar is a big factor too. It's much easier Huge. to put a team in the U S versus Canada as well too. But, uh, I don't know. We're going to have an interesting month of May. I think, is that yeah. fair to say? <laughs> it's fair. Um, Atlanta could work again. Like I said, a lot of it goes, you know, the, the face value is this team. The team was terrible and it was, but if you just dig a little bit deeper, is that the team didn't really have a chance to be good, right? They never were really given the players slash the tools to be successful on and off the ice. So um, I, I think if you do have a group that's committed to having a successful franchise there, it'll work, right? And they've got to have the resources, right? I, I think if there is an expansion, Seattle 750, I think we're talking a billion dollars per franchise moving forward. I really do. Uh, another question is timing, right? Is this... Let's just say this gains momentum. Is it really this quick? I don't know if it is. I think there's got to be at least a five-year gap. I would. But least- yeah, no, it's going to take some time because the, big, time. the biggest issue is is buildings. You know, like yeah. it, like if you're going to Houston, for example, you got to say, are the Rockets comfortable having a hockey rink in that building? Could they make that work? You know, or if you don't, if you're Salt Lake City, do you have a facility that's big enough or can be created quick enough to make things happen? The NHL and college hockey, for that matter, is in a precariously exciting time where there are so yep. many avenues at the middle of the of the spoked wheel, so to speak, that they can go, and they just have to make sure that they pick the right path, so to speak. Yeah, um, it's going to be a wild ride. I mean, the game of hockey is ever changing. I think that's that, that's quite evident. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're just going to have to keep our eye on it and see, of course. Uh, NHL playoffs still going on here. The Oilers and uh, Vegas doing battle. I think the Knights are up 2-1 to one at the time of recording right now. As far as also just out of the game with injury, so Aiden Hill on the Nets, so that could be trouble for Vegas. That's a yeah. long-term uh, type injury. Obviously, we don't know the extent of it, but uh, that's huge. You know, Brossois has yeah. looked really good uh, since essentially taking the job from Logan, uh, Logan Thompson, so uh, we'll have to see, but Vegas needs to yep. get even. And we'll yep. go yeah, Lincoln leading Fargo four to three, seven minutes left in period number two. All of those goals scored in the first period, by the way. Um, oh. Seven goal first in that one. This this series could go five very easily. We'll have, um, by the time the show comes out, we'll know. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye on that one, of course. And then uh, any other news that we find out related to either Arizona, uh, college hockey, whatever it may be, we will definitely keep you up to date. My thought is we will probably have a somewhat normal release, probably either Sunday, um, Sunday, maybe Monday at the latest Tuesday morning, like it was this week as well, too. But we'll kind of keep you updated. We're trying to kind of follow things a little bit with the NHL playoffs and some of the NHL news that's coming out. So that's kind of why we waited, especially till tonight with the NHL draft lottery. Just makes a lot more sense to cover it until we were our hearts were shattered and totally disappointed in this and we regret everything. Yeah. But um, <laughs> with that being said, that will do it for episode 161 for Nick Maxson. I'm Noah Grant and we will see you soon in the den.
2.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.